This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. A riot is the language of the unheard. Those are words of Dr. Martin Luther King. And... um, They're interesting at this time, aren't they? I wasn't sure how to start this podcast today. Since my last guest, Pete Vandermeer, great guy, great fella, you might notice, and, and probably the first guest that I've had that Chicklets had after me, uh, uh, the week after. So I'm sure that was no fluke. There you go, guys. There's my favor back to you, waking you up to the... Uh, the great Peter Vandermeer. But uh, listen, so it's been a while. AO was busy. Um, and, you know, like I said, um, I don't know if it was quite along the lines of mental health, anxiety and depression, but a lot of anxiety. You know, I'm in this too. Like my jobs that I had are gone. I worked on set and on film set. Um, you know, I did some stunts. I worked at the crew. Most of what I did actually was on a film set. And then I do, you know, these public speeches and and things. And, and then even if, so those are gone. And, um, you know, odd jobs from here and there. Most of which are gone. And helping my buddy at Greensleeves set up his bar or whatever. Stephen Hancock, shout out. Jody Temple. Whatever it might be, most of what I was doing or going to do didn't happen. But, you know, point being, you, you know, if an odd job comes up or whatever, a uh, way to make a little bit of money, I'll do it. And that's what I've been doing for a week or so. And COVID was bad enough. You know, you got to take a break. Again, I wasn't sitting here like dwelling on it. I'm actually doing okay with it. And it's great to see my daughter every day and in Newfoundland now where we have, we've had two cases like a month so it's opening up pretty pretty healthily um so i'm not just a bit, what i'm saying is that i, I needed a break though <clears throat> and during the break that i took a lot of unrest civil unrest is happening in the united states more than anywhere it happens here a little bit but we're a microcosm of the United States, and um, and there, basically there's not as much unrest here. No one's ever thrilled. No one ever has 100% approval when they're in office. Um, not that this is 
all a political thing, but just to get political, we don't have as much, because I, I do think this is as much a political thing, as much of an uprising and a revolution as it is uh, just strictly about George Floyd. Mm. And not to dishonor George Floyd, where will I start? I, I didn't know what, where to start today. My, I was going to have... Um, I was going to have on, like, I don't want to seem too predictable, and I have Roger Maxwell or Tristan Manson, just a couple of the black players that I've played with or against, um, just because they're quick and they're good buddies and they're on Facebook and I can contact them. Manson's is out of town for a while, and Maxie had to work. And I wanted Todd Skirving to come on anyway. Great. And, and you know, so I, I figured if I can't get on, not that I don't know any more black people, but I don't want to just um, devalue this whole thing by uh, only getting a black, going out of my way to get a black guest. And, and after all this time of not having one, now that being said, the boys have been asked before, but I looked at it, I said, you know, I haven't had a black guest. In Newfoundland, first of all, our black population isn't massive, so it's not like I grew up with a lot uh, of African Americans. And in the hockey world, anybody I came across, I'm still friends with. And that's, you know, anywhere from Jason Payne played with us. And uh, I remember actually Willie O'Ree in Fredericton. He's from Fredericton. And I went there and he dropped the puck, uh, which was amazing. And then I ended up fighting a guy, Roger Maxwell, I believe that game. And he ended up playing with me here in, in Cornerbrook. And I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, but no, I can't, I, I can't even begin to understand what they went through. Um, you know, and what they have gone through and what they continue to. There's racism everywhere. It's not always terrible. You might, you know, terrible. You know, it might be a joke. I'm saying this. I don't know. But like being a Newfoundlander, you know, you go away and you hear Newfie. So when I was in Quinell and I first went away and the globalization wasn't there of the internet, and, you know, there wasn't as much, you know, it, it, the pendulum hadn't swung as far left yet and there wasn't as much acceptance. You know, Nufi I heard, and it was a little bit discriminatory at times, which is one thousandth of what a black or, or a minority, but let's just say black in this case, person might have gone through. Uh, but I do kind of know it and it wasn't good. I didn't like that feeling. And... You know, I got to know Maxie, and I actually saw once a banana be thrown at him and I'll, uh, during a game. I'll get into that later. And I thought to myself, like, you know, like these fucking guys, like, they go through this. There's, you can say that it won't. It's got racism is gone, which is fuck ridiculous to even think. I'd like to think things get better. They were until this president, and I'll get into that too. I'm gonna fucking open the floodgates on my political stance, which is center. I swear to you, it's not. It's not Democrat, it's not Republican, it's not PC, it's not liberal. I, I just tend to vote for the person. But I do think this motherfucker is poison. Do you want you want to? I do. I have sympathy for anybody. My buddies down in the States that are Republican, um, you know, and there's been good in the past. Geez, John McCain, I probably would have voted for him. The guy that left office uh, two or three years ago, Paul Ryan, I think he'd had enough. There are people that are well-spoken, Mitt Romney. I don't necessarily agree with them. But I think this guy, whew, anyway, before I go there, and again, either skip forward to the fucking interview if you want, or don't listen. But I can't be mute anymore on this. I can't. When there's, 
Well, I just can't. There's a corrupter that's undermining pretty much all the moral leadership across the planet, injecting his own country's citizens, right? He's, in, he's basically injecting his own country's citizens with hateful rhetoric and div divisiveness. Of course, during this COVID slash uprising, he's cleansed himself of any responsibility, right? Going on, he, he goes on fucking grabbing a Bible yesterday, looking at the people. He doesn't give a fuck. Anyway, okay, I'll leave it there for now. You know what? I won't. Fuck this. I won't. Now, I'm going to tell you about what I think about Donald Trump. Now, I graduated in the United States, first of all. I know what it's like. It's not, it, and, and by the way, it's not like all this hate that you're seeing now all the time. Jesus, everywhere has conflicts. Every, every civilization, every country, I would think at some point, look at the Arab Spring a few years ago, right? If, if enough people are pissed off and enough people are desperate, desperate is the, is the thing, they'll rise up. Now, I couldn't get Trump from the beginning. Again, again, I know that a lot of people listen to this podcast are Republican. Now, all I'm asking is to listen to what I'm going to say, because people got to listen. Like Plato said back in the day, the dialectic back in the day, 5,000 fucking years ago. But, you know, you, you don't get anywhere by not talking and you don't get anywhere by yelling. But, you know, for example, I just mentioned Mitt Romney. Well, I think it's crazy not to have abortion, have old white men vote on what, what, what a woman thinks of her body. But at the same time, he's a Mormon and his, his moral compass tells him that a baby is immediately, it's a, it's a baby upon conception. Now, right, I don't think that, but I also think a toddler walking around or, you know, five months old is a baby. So somewhere in between the being born and conception is what we're going to deem right or wrong, right, for a while in this law until it changes. And it goes back and forth like that. And therefore, you come up with something that I might not agree with fully, that Mitt Romney might not agree with fully, but he shakes my hand and we move on because we're from two sides of the fence, but we're human, right? That's what I think of the Republican Party. Republicans, uh, and a lot of people listen to this. I know it's a hockey podcast, but sometimes things got to be said. And again, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should A, get informed, uh, but B, maybe just move on to the interview. But I am going to keep going because there are some people that want me to. And whether you want me to or not is irrelevant. I got to speak. Um, so say like in, in the United States, some famous or some presidents that were Republican, George Bush, his father, Ronald Reagan, say in my lifetime, you got Bill Clinton and you got Barack Obama um, as the uh, liberal or Democratic presidents. But in any case, decisions are made. I mean, a lot of people didn't like George Bush. I thought some of his decisions and, you know, definitely his speeches were less than spectacular, but. He had class. He had professionalism, right? When he left office and Barack Obama came in, they shook hands. And if you ask either one of them now, they actually speak very respectful about the other guy. There wasn't this divide. There was always a political divide. There has to be, especially when there's two parties in the States, right? So you're either on one or the other. I always found that fucking crazy, too. 
But I mean, I lived in Washington State. My billets, Mark and Nancy Eby, were great people. I think Mark had a gun. That's the other thing. We don't know. Like, guys, I live down there. I think, like, I, I'm in the, in the center right here. I don't, I think it's ludicrous for me to have a gun around. I got a daughter. And our, 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 our countries are very similar, and they're very similar cultures, but they're similar. They're not exact. Here in, in Newfoundland, I don't feel I need a gun. Most people don't. Most Canadians feel that. Now, of course, we just had a shooting in, in Nova Scotia. It was tragic. It was awful. That shouldn't happen. I'm not really commenting on that. If you look at the United States, they have a lot more shootings. I'm not trying to get to the bottom of the gun problem. What I'm saying is that if I was there, it's different. Yes, I can totally see living in anywhere, Philadelphia, Tri-Cities, uh, Orlando, Roanoke, Texas, wherever the fuck you want to talk about. I can understand having the gun. Um, I'm, I'm kind of getting separated, but what from what I'm getting at, but you, you know what I mean? Like there's different political views and each time you can, you need to speak about them. I don't hate anybody that is a gun owner. I, I, I you asked me my, my absolute thought on it. I don't think you need AK 47s walking around publicly. And I think consistently the U S has way more killings than everywhere else. So you can blame the gun, you can do whatever, but if people walk around legally with them, second amendment or not, then, exponential more people will get killed with guns, which is exactly what happens. But because of that is why I would want one. That's what I'm saying. It's ingrained in their constitution. It's been for a while. It's for people that don't want guns down there. I understand your argument. I'm just saying I would probably want one. In Canada, no. They're very similar. But again, talking points will get us to certain laws for or against guns. You can go down the list with it. But what's another thing? Immigration, right? Well, yeah, we, we got to have fucking immigration rules. You don't have to paint the picture like Trump. You don't have to call Mexicans rapists and murderers. And again, you know how bad that is for the, do you know how bad that is people? Now, if you're from Newfoundland or somewhere else that you've really only seen white people your whole life, fair enough. And you don't know. And, and people like that paint a picture of Mexicans that that's the way they are. Now, I live down in the States. It's not. Go to a place like San Antonio or, you know. That's really close. Um, you get all, it's a professional place. Doctors, lawyers, hot dog vendors, whatever. I mean, there's lots that are Mexican, black, white, whatever, red, brown. And it, it, it starts to not be weird. I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of uh, volunteering with the teams that I played on, you know, and you, <laughs> I, I just, more more often than not, you know, the, the places that you have that people racially discriminate, they might be like poor. But like if you take a black person and, and look at the history of, the, of their ancestral tree, if, 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 if for lack of a better phrase, go go back just a few generations. Like even after slavery, the Jim Crow laws came in like Rosa Parks had to ride in her own part of the bus like that was Rosa Parks revolt if you want to call it that her bravery that was in i, I believe 55 or 56 like yeah, like you know what i mean like little richard who i'm actually going to talk about in a minute little richard came out he just passed away god rest his soul one of the best rockers ever but i mean he would come out and play and he wouldn't be able to sit in the club after he played because he was black that shit happened in our life he just died right so his children and his grandchildren are or did he even have any he was famously gay but but anyway you know what i'm saying like we're not far removed we're, we're still not though removed but i'm, I'm, I'm putting it in perspective these people 
that live in, in the projects and places like that? Well, it's because they haven't had an opportunity. It's not that they're, so if, if you see the people are like black on black crime is big and you know, you look in those places, the crime rates high because they don't have a fucking opportunity. If I grew up with nothing and I still say it, I would do it too. If, if, if right now, if right now my daughter is starving and I can't pay my bills, I'm going to find a way. I don't know what it is. I'm going to try to do it the most humane way, but I'm going to find it. And if that's Rob, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm sorry. That's what I'm going to do. Now you can, we can sit here on our fucking perch, right? And I'm certainly not saying, I mean, I had a lot of money at one point. Now I'm check to check. This is hurting me. Like it's hurting everybody. I'm on the two grand a month, baby. But like to some people, I don't want to start mentioning specific things, but you know, they've never had an opportunity to, to rise up. The reason I, we're, what, what am I? I'm a hockey player, right? I'm an actor. I'm a podcaster, whatever. Well, it all started. Why? Cause I could play hockey. Why? Cause I could play hockey in Mount Pearl. Cause I had the money. Cause my, I had a family who loved me. A, I had the means. I had a city who was, was which was organized and peaceful and family friendly enough to have sports. Right. And I mean, we take that for granted. Back 200 fucking years, and we were worried that we wouldn't get eaten by a tiger, right? In 99.99999 of human history, it's been violent one. We only eat for fucking pleasure in the last 100 years. Really? Think about it. We're fucking human beings. We're fucking created out of the animal kingdom. We're all equal. These people have been told and, and downtrodden. And not only that, like, you know... Like I said, Maxi had a banana thrown at him. It was like old hat. He didn't care. And I'm like, Jesus. He goes, ah, it happens all the time. We get on the bus. And I was like, Maxi, what's it really like? And I remember him saying, he's like, you know, well, if I walk into a store, they're going to like look at me. They're not going to look at you. And it was true. I remember going into, I'm not going to say where, but it's true. So if, if, you're in, if that's in your mind and it's ingrained in your head and, you know, it almost would make you feel lesser. And I do something yesterday. I put out an all black on my Instagram, right? Which is to show support. And then what do you hear? I got a lot of backlash, like more, more so than when I said some rude things on Twitter that I should have gotten backlash a bunch of years ago. Um, I got more backlash and people laughing and oh, you're going to do a lot of putting your screen black. They're down there, you know, they lived and they were slaves and you're going to do that and ignorant. No, it's not ignorant. I'm showing a bit of support. What the fuck do you want me to do? Create a time machine and go back and save everybody? It's white people that say that. Now, meanwhile, I won't mention them, but I had about five um, minorities that are friends that sent me a message and said, you know, thanks for that. It's just a little, but it means a lot. There's not every, we can't do everything. I can't go to Philadelphia right now and convince an angry mob or go to Minneapolis and, and convince people that, you know, um, I'm not, you know, that peace is the way I'm not Dr. Martin Luther King. I don't have the means. I probably don't have the energy or the, um, the temperament to not snap. People like that are, are geniuses. And people like Dr. Martin Luther King are why we make progress. People like Donald Trump aren't now. I mean, back to fucking Trump. He's divisive. From day one, when he said you can just grab a pussy whenever you want, how do you with a daughter or a fucking mother? Now, listen, again, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to accuse. Sorry, I know there's lots of Republicans out there. I'm mystified at how many Trump fans, though. This guy is a narcissistic fuck. He doesn't care about you. 
He's a leader. Like I'm going, of all the leaders I have, like I can't imagine Vinnie Damfus or Shane Corson not owing up to something and then blaming other people. Telling me, oh, you know, grab pussy. No, it's different. You guys play with the Montreal Canadiens all here now. After this, I'll get a new. You never grabbed the pussy? No. Didn't just grab a pussy. Maybe if the pussy came and fucking grabbed me. Meaning, you know, you talk to a girl. Whatever. And there was lots of wild girls and I had lots of wild nights. But it didn't start by me grabbing their pussy. Fuck me. That's day one. That was like when he was running in 2015. And I said, well, I can't get any women voting for him now or any men that are, have daughters and look at them like, and boom. So whatever. Then I'm like, well, maybe I'm name calling. Is that not divisive? His instinct is divisive. Crooked Hillary. Ah, fuck. You know, uh, loser Lindsay. Loser Lindsey Graham in his own party. Called Ted Cruz's father. Murdered JFK. Said it was part of a conspiracy. I mean, this guy lies. Only to benefit himself. And guys like Ted Cruz then sucking his dick the next week. I don't get it. I'd be gone. You know you got a job. Paul Ryan, I didn't agree with him, but at least he fucking grabbed his balls. Said, I can't do this anymore. Fuck's sakes. You're going to, you fucking congressman of the United States, you're going to get a job. But to a person, they're all fucking mute. Bunch of shills. Trump is a coward himself. He bailed out of the war because of bone spurs. Just think about that now. So if you're like a hockey player or you're a sports figure and you know the, you like Bobby Clark or Bob Probert or, or Patrice Bergeron or guys who play through pain you know, and adversity, and this guy doesn't even show up because of his bone spurs and his millions of dollars. And then not only that, he attacked McCain. John McCain, who was a prisoner of war for years, he attacked him. I don't know how more disrespectful you could be. And then not only did he attack him, and say, his words, his words were, I prefer to look up to people who don't get captured. Dismissing all of that animosity, mental animosity that McCain must have gone through in his family. And then he did it again after he died. Man, it's just unbelievable disrespect and ignorance. And not to mention the family in 2016, I don't know if you remember Humayun Khan the slain soldier and his mother didn't speak. Um, his mom and dad got up to speak and, and his mother didn't. And Trump gave it to her and she said, well, it had nothing to do with my religion. He was knocking Islam, I guess. And she said, no, I was emotional because my son had died. And he just mocked them in front of, I'd say millions, but billions of people. Just completely compassionless. And his answer during that time, his answer, when Mr. Khan said that maybe Trump hadn't sacrificed anything, he said, I've made a lot of sacrifices. I've worked very, very hard. I've created thousands and thousands of jobs. That's what he said to the family that just lost their son, serving for him. And then, I mean, it's comical. If, if, if it wasn't so sad, he mocked a handicap on stage. There was someone with a handicap. I can't remember who it was, but it's famous scene anyway, clip. You look it up. Says he didn't. He's lying right to your face, just like he did about his inauguration numbers. He's lying right to you. Right? I mean...
I know you'll say politicians lie, but a lot of them make empty promises and they lie maybe before the fact, but he's looking at you and lying right to you about what just happened. No, there were millions of people at my inauguration. No, there weren't, Donald. We're looking right at it. We got all kinds of ways to technology. To, we get film. We, we have phones. We, have, we can broadcast it all over the world. It can be on YouTube tomorrow. We're taking a picture and literally the next second, it's everywhere in the world. Everybody can see it. Yep. You're telling us that there's people here and they're not. Yeah, well, that's the way it is. Fake news. Now, the media are a means to keep the you know, government honest uh, traditionally, and he's ruined that. He's made people not trust the media. There, and I'll admit there's reasons not to in both sides, but you can't just keep saying fake news to people that don't agree with you. Or, again, stuff like this happens. Eventually, people revolt, and that's what's happening. If you're... You know, again, if you like Donald Trump himself, I don't understand it, but maybe we can talk. I'm, I'm not saying, like, if you don't like what I'm saying, you can unfollow me. You cannot listen. That doesn't bother me. Don't think it's the other way around, though. I want to keep I sometimes lose my mind, but I think everybody should be heard, and there's reasons behind everybody's decisions. And there's a lot of decent people. That's the thing I don't understand. There's decent people. This guy who would slit your throat as soon as look at you for money, not even for his own life, for money. In indirect ways, he's done it. I, I, that's, that's what baffles me, is that people would still... And maybe you're fighting for the cause, for the Republican cause, maybe, which, you know, there's lots of great Republican causes. But at this point, I don't care if it's Republican or Democrat, I just think the guy has to go. He hasn't called out racism from day one. Like I said, rather than say we need an immigration policy, say what you want about Trudeau. I don't agree with everything Trudeau says. People think because I'm socially on the, on the left, meaning like I, I support gay marriage, right? I, I do support abortion. I think at some point there's, the population is going to get out of control, first of all. I'm not a woman. I can't Im under, imagine what that must be like for some fucking idiot like me. I'm not saying that they get raped either. Like Rape, you definitely should have the option. But, you know, some women, it's just an accident. Something happens. A guy doesn't have to worry about it. It's some fucking dick. And you got to, the baby's a week old. You know, anyway, I'm getting too far into it. I'm going to piss off people now for the wrong reasons. I'm just saying, okay? I'm just saying that there are things, uh, uh, Trump, fuck, man. I'm a, <sighs> All Mexicans aren't rapists and murderers, okay? I know lots. And to, to even present it like that is divisive. And you're, you're drumming up hate. Can anybody not see that? Why would you want to approach it with the hateful brush? Fuck the Beatles. All you need is love. Just, just think of that for a second. Now in the midst of this crisis, this motherfucker is taking no blame. He hang you out to dry. Then all the fucking... I, <laughs> he talks about ratings. In the midst of a crisis? He's a fucking shyster with his university and his foundations that he started and took all the money. He's bragged about having casinos and you make more money when they go bankrupt. Yet other people lose their jobs and lose their livelihoods. And people fucking love him. I'm going... <sighs> what else? Uh, the porn star Sam scandal. The sex abuse scandal doesn't seem to stick... Trump, everybody else. I mean, fucking Al Franklin, one of the smartest 
was he a congressman or a senator? One of one of the other. One of the smartest government officials out there. <laughs> Whatever he posed for a picture and grabbed a tit in the early nineties. Whatever. I'm not saying it's great, but it's not on the same fucking equivalency. It's not even close to what Trump's been accused of. The fucking Russia collusion. Okay. Okay. So obviously, I mean, here's here's Putin. Loving all this. This is what he wanted. And the reason he got it is because Trump won't, won't fucking give in. Now, he knows the election was fucking rigged his... Now, I'm not even saying that he... Trump should stay in. He got voted in. And the, 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 the Russia fucking bullshit interference, I mean, who knows? It, it seems like it would have led his way, but I'm not even saying that. But you got to acknowledge it as the president that it happened. He's fucking making pancakes and fucking listening to fucking... Happy songs and fucking cartoon bluebirds chirping around their shoulders. Him and Putin hanging out. Anyway, and if you, if you don't agree with me on those specific political things, fine. But what you do see is a man that will not take any responsibility whatsoever. He blames other people. He throws his own people under the bus. If my captain of my team ever threw me under the bus, I'd punch him in the fucking head and I'd ask for a trade. Holy fuck. How much? And people still sit there. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if it's maybe there's one thing you like. Maybe you're like huge anti or you're huge gun. You're huge gun. And you're like, the other party's not going to give it. So I'm going to support Trump. Or maybe you're a fucking secret racist or maybe but there's got to be a reason that I'm looking at there and smart people. And that's the other thing, like 85% or some shit of people with university degrees don't vote for. Them. It's just a moron. And I never voted for you know, um, I never really, oh, let's just say, like, say climate change, right? Like, I don't really know. I'm not a scientist, but 99% of them say it's happening. I don't want to get into that either because I know there's people that, you know, it's global warming, climate change, whatever. If we caused it or not, there is climate change happening. How do I know that? Because scientists, like I've often said, you know, someone will look at me and fucking deny evolution and deny that the climate's changing, yet they'll go and, and fucking race to a spot on Earth to see an eclipse in fucking... July. Well, how do you know the eclipse is going to be there? The same science tells the other stuff. Exactly. So I believe um, mostly what, you know, when it comes to COVID, okay, what do you got? I need a mask. Okay. It's very contagious. Kills, kills the elderly, um, people with bad immune systems, right? I, I don't really know any of this myself. It's gathering information from people who know about the subject. And I've always wondered that. Like if you're if you've got no money and you live in a trailer or some shit, why don't you want health care? Right? Why, why wouldn't you want it? And not only that, there's got to be people that you know that are gay. Trump comes out with a tweet a few years ago, just, just randomly in the middle. It doesn't tell anybody about this, that LGBTQ should not be in the military. To me, that's just hate. Like, I'm going, why? The military? What, what's going to happen? Am I scared that some fucking general is going to come in and pull down my pants and shove his dick up my ass in the middle of a, a, a fucking pursuit? No. Who cares? My, people like my dad. You know about Senior? You know how cool Senior is? Well, Senior's got a brother, Daryl, that's real cool. He's the same as fucking Senior. Daryl's gay. Now, uh, what do you think now? Do you think any less of me for loving Daryl? Or Daryl's husband? Larry? That's the fucking world. Like, whatever. I'm just saying, Daryl, wake up and look at a tweet about, even though he's not American, about Trump 
saying that they shouldn't be in the military. It's hateful. It's hateful rhetoric, and there's no reason for it. Come out yesterday for the photo op holding the Bible. Even the, the, the lady, I forget what kind of church it was. Let's say the pastor. I don't know much about other religions. Um, whatever. She was pissed off. The fucking mayor of Washington, of Washington D.C. was pissed off. He doesn't care. And these evangelists still stick behind them. I'm going, what? Like, how? He's in front of you. He's, he's trying to solve police brutality with military, a, a, a cause about police brutality. He's choosing to approach that with hate. He didn't once mention um, um, George Floyd's name yesterday. He didn't say, I stand with these people. He didn't say we need to unite. We need to find a way like, like most leaders would. I've never really, in my lifetime, I can think of every leader at some point that has, has been challenged. I mean, again, I wasn't a big Bush fan in his policies, but Bush did it. Rudy Giuliani, I think, is a total no mind. He did it. He made people feel more comfortable. America's mayor in 2001 for good reason. For good reason. Now, Giuliani, I think, is a fucking shill. I don't think he's as bad like Trump. Trump is just fucking madness. But honestly, that's where I stand on it, and I got I, I, I to get it off my mind. And I said it, and look, um, outside of just the reason now, when I saw him yesterday trying to defend police brutality, and not defend it, but try to answer a cause of police brutality by coming out, saying how great he is, that he's one of the best presidents ever, and he held up a Bible of which he never read. They've asked him verses. He doesn't fucking know. Amazing. And the evangelists still fucking love him. And his, he, his call to the states wasn't to unite. He shit on all the governors for not being forceful enough. Dominate. Take him and throw him in jail. Now, people... I hope most people out there realize, or I hope all realize, that this uprising, again, is not just about George Floyd. That happened, and it happened on camera, people. Now, I know the other side of the coin is that there's, I'm assuming thousands, I'm assuming over 100,000, yeah, well over cops in the United States. Most are good. Jeff Circa has been a Friend of the program, he's been on here. He's one of them. He stayed in Denver, actually. I'll probably have Cirque on. And Cirque's a Republican, I think. I, don't wanna, I, I, I believe he is. Um, you know, because we would talk about that. And there's lots of great Republicans and great Democrats. Again, it's not a... I just think this fucking guy has drummed up so much social unrest that this is bordering on revolution. The, the, and, and say what you want to me, because if you're what, the, <sighs> Colin Kaepernick, I started to see it a couple of years ago. People were pissed off. What are you pissed off at? He took a knee. People now, oh, it's, people now pissed off at, at people that are fucking literally destroying public buildings. It can only, I'm not saying, I'm not condoning it, but it can only build up for so long and revolution happens. Just look at a fucking history book. And you can't be that hateful and that divisive and that ignorant and that narcissistic. You can't be a megalo-fucking-maniac for that long 
and not care about the fucking downtrodden man or downtrodden is one thing he just doesn't respect a lot of people in general I, I, geez pretty much everybody he has absolutely no sympathy or empathy i can't that you could sum it up there i would never have a captain of my team that had no empathy or sympathy because how can you relate with the people on the fourth line that aren't getting in the lineup when you're a star how can he relate with people that need help when he's never fucking he was silver spooning his whole life on money from his dad And now his answer to a uprising, to an uprising regarding police brutality is to answer with more brutality. Fuck me. He has no pride to swallow. I think he's probably the worst thing. Well, he's definitely, there's, in my mind, there's nobody worse than him in my life. I'm not going to go and say Hitler. That was obviously way worse. But I will say evil. I do think evil. I don't even know if it's conscious. He's so into himself and so narcissistic. He will, and he's never said sorry. That I don't know if it's evil. I, think, I just think he's so drunk on self-importance. And it's, it's anybody else would be, in, I think, in a, in a mental institution if they got on like that. Um, you know, just think of the things that he says. Think. They're telling people to fight. I mean, once, I tell you, he lost me for good when he didn't call out the, um, the racists in the, uh, uh, what was it? Do you remember the, uh, the marches down south somewhere a few years ago? You know what I'm talking about. When he said they're all good people. Again. Like he just, he, that was his time to step up and say, and I know he did like months later, but step up and fucking speak out against it. There was one time in Colorado, man, I feel bad about, and this happened. And I, I don't think I ever told the story. I did, like I said, I, I loved meeting people from all over and to meet minorities to me was a novelty because when i grew up in newfoundland there's just not many but most of us are from if you search back far enough scotland england ireland but anyway and i you know it's same thing i'm, I'm watching your, your 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 idea of everything is skewed say my whole idea of cincinnati was watching wkrp so the, the opening credits there where it gives a couple of um you know, establisher shots coming into Cincinnati. Well, that, that's my idea of it. When I, when I actually was in Cincinnati, I was like, wow, this is like real pretty. I can't believe it. It's a riverboat. Uh, it's right on the Kentucky border. Uh, I love the weather. Big, beautiful trees. Um, that's just one example. The same kind of with minorities. I didn't really know what to expect. So I went down to Plain Tree, and there wasn't many in Quinell either, but we went down to... Uh, Tri-Cities then, where I did when I got drafted there. 16, 17, 18. Uh, Kennewick, Washington. Richland, Pasco, Kennewick, the Tri-Cities. And now you get a bit of a, there's a black population. Um, you know, the football team's probably got six or seven um, minorities. And the Tri-Cities is a great spot. And I, I never really, it, it was just interesting to me. And I wanted to find out more about African-American culture. And to be honest, a lot of them were, third and fourth generation uh, Americans. And 
I find it more of a novelty that I was meeting new people, really. I didn't really ever ask them about their experiences with racism. So fast forward a few years. Uh, Montreal, same thing. You know, I just, I, I, I didn't, wasn't exposed to any negative aspects. And if you asked me then, I would have said racism is probably gone. Uh, even as on the ice, there was people, I remember George Rock playing and, and you know, got a bit of a hard time and, you know, I didn't like being called Newfie. Uh, well, you can imagine people with literally saying the word um, And that happened here and there. You get stories of it. I didn't really see many people, but that happened. Anyway, I didn't really, it didn't bother me, I guess. And I just went on and I ignored. If, if, if it ever happened, most people that I met in that situation, I, I, I just, you know, I, I met lots of black people in their 30s say that, you know, I didn't ask them about their childhood. Odds are that they were probably at some point faced a bit of adversity. So we're playing in Colorado Springs, and I got my arm skated over. It was 30 games in, I think. And, and I mean, like, it was, um, I had a break where I got hauled down, and my elbow pad came off earlier in the shift, so I had nothing there. And my, th anyway, my jersey came up, and the guy got tangled up in front of the net, and he, like, skated over my arm. It, it, cut all the tendons, nerves. I still can't feel the outside of my hand. Um, just feels like pins and needles all the time, which was like, honestly felt really weird for like a year, even now when I think about it, because it's literally like ever crack your elbow and you, it goes pins and needles. Well, that's what my half my hand on the outside feels like all the time. Um, should have fucking retired and gotten the insurance money. I was insured for good money back then. Um, but anyway, um, I was out then, so my, I started doing the color for the team. Jack Michaels, who does it now for the Edmonton Oilers, he was our color guy or our radio guy. So I'd do the color and we'd travel around. But one, one thing, you know, I wanted to make myself useful. So we always would do some things um, charitable. That's one thing. I, I believe most of the hockey world is very big into community and charity because every team, every single team without exception that I played for was. So Colorado, yeah, most often, you know, you do the photo op stuff like um, kids' hospital, um, old bingo for, you know, senior citizens. But this one time we went to a school and I gave a speech and uh, to like, it was grade fours and fives, I think. And then we went into, and I said, yeah, I'll stick around. So the boys went back. I think a guy named Mark Gowan who played in the OHL, Gowie, if you're out there, um, I believe he stayed with me. So, you know, because we were like, eh. What are we going to do? Go home, do nothing uh, all afternoon. Uh, Gowie's wife was didn't get there till the second half of the year, and uh, I was single down there. So, you know, lots of time, just whatever. Whatever, there wasn't any cell phones. Well, there were, but not, uh, you couldn't get the internet and stuff. So we just enjoyed being part of the community. So probably five or six of us went there to give speeches and, you know, show and tell kind of thing with the students. And then we stayed. So we stayed during gym class. So the gym teacher calls us over and he's separating the bats and the balls and the sticks. He's like, well, Terry, Terry, might as well play hockey. And the kid, yay, you know, gold kings, gold kings. And then there's a few black kids there. And one girl was tiny too. She was, there was four fives and maybe sixes elementary school this girl was like real had to be grade four she was tiny she was black and she her eyes wide open like she seemed just amazed that we were even there uh but this gym teacher came over to me and um he said right in front of her um there was a basketball 
and he started he had sticks and he said well we'll give these here and he said we'll give them the basketball and the girl heard it and i didn't say anything and i don't remember anything else about that day and my 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 memory gets foggy on anything else about any charity i did down there and the guy saying it was gym teacher he, he was nice to me he, he was maybe even nice to them but he was clearly racist and he would have said he wasn't but i just i've always i i don't care people are racist but the fact that i didn't say anything and i'm like if that girl if that's the only thing that she ever faces and which is not she's black chances are she heard that shit all the time she was in grade four i'm like if she if there's no way that can impact you and to her she's looking up at two bigger stronger white men in places of authority and then nick she's thinking you know the should play basketball and i've never fucking forgiven myself for that and um i just know that rex fucking murphy canada wrote a thing in the paper like racism is not over and it never will be you just got to call people like that out that was my chance and i didn't but now i will and i don't mean every trump voter is racist either i don't if you are, you've hung up or you fucking stopped listening by now anyway. But I don't mean that. I think if there were more than two parties, I don't think he'd be in. But it's just so many people that are Republican, I guess, must vote for him. But I just don't get it. I get fired up. I, I just don't get it because he's so divisive. And Looting, look, looting, that doesn't represent the people that are fucking defending George Floyd people. That's not this. It's a revolt. There's all kinds of things going on. There's, there's, if you're a gang, black, white, again, red, blue, whatever, if you're a gang, you see something like that, you'd be opportunistic. The KKK have thrown people in. There was police themselves looting. It's chaos. And when there's anarchy and chaos, you'll see the fucking bottom feeders come out. But you'll also see people that have had it people that lost their job, people that are sick, they're Mexican, they're sick of being called rapists and murderers, when the stats actually are different, that's the other thing. Look it up. Fuck. The rate of rapists and murderers on Mexican immigrants is way below white. Not immigrants, just white people in the States. Look it up. I had to do, I don't do homework much on here, and I said I'm going to, Look up some facts. At least fucking give me that they're, 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 at least tell me that Trump was being ignorant, but he was being factual. No. No. Like, barely any rapists or murderers. People wanting a chance. See, we forget what that's like, because it's been hundreds of years since my relatives came over from Ireland. And why did most people come to Newfoundland? For opportunity. And what happened in my lifetime? Newfoundland, 
joint Canada opportunity. You can argue that one way or the other, but whatever opportunity. And that's all. Right? And the vast majority of people need love. They need empathy. They need sympathy. That little girl that day in Colorado certainly needed mine. But I learned my lesson, and I haven't been as vocal till now, but there's a time and a place. And, um, yeah, I wish everybody down in the United States luck. And uh, before I move on to a little story about Little Richard, uh, that's how I feel. Now, I just kind of went off and lowered the bar by, you know, I'm almost insulting you if you're a Trump supporter. Because I, I just don't understand it. I, I, I don't. I'll make clear again, it's not the party that, it, that he's in. I feel for you. And there's times that I would have voted that way. Um, but he's hijacked your party. He's hijacked your country. And he's a laughing stock of the world. And he bases everything. He starts very cynical and he starts very hateful and if you don't agree with him he'll rip you to shreds like a bully and I fucking hate bullies and I fought bullies and I'll continue to fight bullies fuck Donald Trump Lil Richard so you know, he, Little Richard just passed away, and I figure, as if if you're a black person, imagine now if if right now we're in 2020, and this is happening, and you know, Black Lives Matter and all that, and you know, if, if there's still a, a divide, imagine what it was like. Richard Pennyman, aka Little Richard, came on the music scene. His first record records were in 1951. That's four or five years before Rosa Parks. There was still segregation. There's Jim Crow. If you don't know what I'm talking Jim Crow, just go look it up. It, it, like Slavery ended, but discrimination didn't. Well, slavery didn't end. You look at that shit, man. Blacks getting lynched in the streets and all this shit. Segregation laws. Blacks got to sit at the back of the bus. Little Richard came on the scene, and he burst onto it with well he struggled for actually four or five years but he was in 1955 came an album I, it was either here comes little richard or, or rip it up uh i got two of them and you know i got i got them in uh, on, on toronto actually on queen street a few years ago i, I don't know what, what the official first one was of course i can like look at google this whole time but i find it more fun without giving myself the headache <laughs> because I don't like fucking searching and looking at computer screens all day. But if I have to, I will. But I know it was around that time. So he's black and he's gay. So, you know, most people would take black music and it, it, you wouldn't believe it, but there was black radio stations and white radio stations. I mean, there was a black Negro baseball leagues and white baseball leagues till, or the major leagues until the late 40s. I think Robinson, Jackie Robinson was in 47 or 49. So 
you know, the white radio stations would hear Long Tall Sally say by Pat Boone or Good Golly Miss Molly. Um, and once Alan Freed, I believe, was the guy who came up with the term rock and roll. And Alan Freed, though but people say he was racist. I mean, he, he certainly did have those tendencies and it was a different time back then though, but he definitely did a lot for the black community because he started, he took a real risk. He started putting him and others put black music on white radio. And if you heard little Richard, like when I heard little Richard growing up, I thought he was the most confident. I just loved, and I saw him interviewed. I'm like, Whoa, like there was something weird about the guy. I mean, you could tell he was gay right away, but I, like I said, I knew my uncle Daryl, so it didn't really matter. And um, I just found him wild. And if you don't know Little Richard or didn't watch an interview, do yourself a favor. Just Google. What a fucking slice of life this guy is. But here's how he came on the scene. Before Elvis, before Jerry Lee Lewis, before all of it, really. I mean, again, he started recording 50 fucking one. We know that rock and roll, the music, you know, came from R&B, black artists before. Um, Elvis came and, and Bill Haley and the Comets and Jerry Lee Lewis and all that. But this is something. And I, I got my phone out, but just li listen to how he comes on the scene, how confident and how rock and roll. Pat Boom wasn't close. Jerry Lee Lewis was, but, you know, they were kind of friends and competitors. But uh, anyway, and Jerry Lee Lewis came slightly, but later. Here is Little Richard. So that's Long Tall Sally. Now, what I love about that, too, is that the Beatles also put that out. Now, the Beatles didn't put out many other people's music, but they loved uh, uh, fucking Little Richard. And Little Richard, a lot of people don't realize this, went over to tour in Europe in the early 60s, and they did a few dates with the Beatles. So Paul McCartney uh, meets Little Richard, and, and Richard's given him kind of vocal lessons and how to do it. And like I said, the Beatles didn't, but the Beatles loved uh, early black R&B, rock and roll and everything. They put out Chuck Berry songs too. And Billy Preston actually played on Let It Be. Um, but uh, so McCartney and, and, you know, it's like, because McCartney is that he's known of the Beatles, like at least of the Lennon and McCartney. You know, Lennon had twist and shout and really challenged his voice. And McCartney's really melodic and usually soft-spoken, but he could rock. And this is Long Tall Sally by the Beatles. And this is uh, influenced totally by Little Richard, who told, actually gave Paul some advice on how to sing it. And, like, again, what a feather in your hat that the Beatles chose to put your song out. But here's, here's the other version, Paul McCartney and the Beatles. So, yeah, man, that's rocker. And that's pre, like, the Beatles coming to North America uh, in 1964, February, on Ed Sullivan. I'm assuming everybody knows that story, but the story of Beatlemania and everything, the timing is just wild. Um, but again, their message was love and acceptance, right? But, yeah, so, and he's just fucking unbelievable. So, and he puts out 15 or 16, oh, it's, what's another one? Oh, The Girl Can't Help It came out a few years ago 
Little Richard was really known for Tutti Frutti, who I think was his first one, then Long Tall Sally. He had Rip It Up. But there's one called um, The Girl Can't Help It. And I believe Fergie or the Black Eyed Peas had it a few years ago. There you go. There's another slice of Little Richard. And, you know, it's not even one of his best known songs. I think it might be on the greatest hits, but it doesn't pop to mind when you think of him. But, I mean, that's been covered before. And, like I said, <coughs> I believe just a few years ago by Fergie or the Black Eyed Peas. But anyway, <laughs> music's an evolution. And he was a big part of the, like a really, really underrated part of the early early rock and roll, the way he's singing even, not just the term rock and roll or not the way he played the piano, which you just watch, just watch, just please YouTube. I can't do it justice. Um, but, you know, he put out a bunch of hits, but only he only had hits in the 50s. This guy only had hits in the 50s, but he stayed relevant. I find it amazing. He became a minister. So he joined the church, becomes a minister, you know, 60s, 70s. But in the 80s, like, you know, I grew up in the 80s. You'd see him all over the place. Yet he, he, he just, he, he seemed to have his finger on the pulse. Like he was a part of the zeitgeist of, of society, even though, you know, he just died 2020. His hits were almost 70 fucking years ago. But I mean, everybody knows Tutti Frutti, but you, you hear him, you know, a lot of, a lot of people still recognize that's, that's little Richard. It's wild. It's 70 fucking years ago, man. But he was just this confident black gay man in a time I often, I, it baffles me that he could be as successful given the time because man, black people were oppressed. It's like Billie Holiday, a black female in the thirties was not as popular, but up there with Frank Sinatra and Nat King Cole. Like, how did that happen? I, um, I mean, it should. I'm not saying that how did it happen? Like humanity should give everybody a chance. I'm just saying there were laws and there was people and there was a lot of discrimination that said otherwise, but fuck man, little Richard and shout out to Billy Holiday, but little Richard, fuck RIP man. Really, really, uh, he's a big part of my life. Uh, I'm not religious. I'm not saying I'm not spiritual and don't hope that something positive happens when we die. I don't think it goes by any book, but I'm from that book. Like he's a minister. I hear you, buddy. Do good things. Be good to people. You know, coming from a guy that had every reason to fucking be pissed off at the world. He said he also had a tough upbringing. You read the stories and, you know, coming out. Yeah. He's coming out of the depression and shit. And on top of being African-American, in a very white society, just fucking phenomenal. And, you know, went on to inspire people. And what can you ask? All I can ask from people that are leaders is unity and inspiration. And would I think that I'd be sitting here talking about unity and inspiration and leadership in, in 2020 with little Richard as opposed to the president amidst a, a crisis, a, more than one crisis? Actually, a fucking bunch of crisis, crises, crises, crises. No, I wouldn't. But you know what? 
long live little Richard and fuck Donald Trump. And that's what I think. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the most generous hockey players I've come across, Todd Skirving, on the way. Back in a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives me great pleasure to welcome my next guest to Tales with TR. He has played for the Vernon Vipers, the Prince George Spruce Kings, the Sioux Falls Stampede, the Rochester Institute of Technology, the Orlando Solar Bears, the Utah Grizzlies, the Atlanta Gladiators, the Newfoundland Growlers. Born in April, not May, he hails from Thunder Bay. As a teen, you see, he played in BC. He hasn't been charged with theft, and he shoots right but not left. Oh, and he shoots right. He doesn't shoot right, he shoots left. Holy fuck, get the marbles out of your mouth, host, mouth, host Terry. Like Poet Elliot, no less, his initials are TS. He's a leader on his squad, and folks call him Todd. He likes Corona. His name isn't Cyrus, and I meant the beer, not the virus. He's tried salt pork and lit the lamp in New York. He's a nice guy to meet when hanging on George Street. As a Newfoundland growler, he's still serving, ladies and gents. Here he is, the one and only Todd Skirving. Quite the introduction, T.R. Thank you for that. Well, no problem. You, uh, you deserved it. How's things going in uh, Thunder Bay, your hometown? It's going well. Uh, nice day here today. Uh, back with my parents right now at their place, and they're starting some home renovations. So between that and just, you know, trying to stay within it with workouts and stuff, that's been keeping me pretty busy lately. Yes, I was going to say, how are you? Uh, you know, I'm here with, so Zach, so Todd, for those of you who don't know, I guess you do now in that intro, but Todd plays on the Newfoundland Growlers. And uh, I got a couple of close buddies on the team, Zach and Marcus, and I know it's been a nightmare for them training. What have you been doing? And James uh, is also a buddy of mine. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny you ask. We actually uh, cleaned out my parents' garage. It's an older garage, and we uh, cleaned out a lot of things. Fortunately, made my parents get rid of a few things, and I found all the old weights I used as a child and made my own little gym. So between that, doing yoga... I uh, actually just ordered the Mars blades. Kachi, uh, equipment manager for the Growlers, oh. there hooked them up for me on my old True Skates. So hopefully those will be here in a week. And just trying to stay in it. Obviously, it's a hard time to be doing that right now. But uh, trying to make everything uh, work with what I have and just trying to move forward. That's all I could do. Have you tried those skates yet, or the blades, or whatever they're? What are they called? The Mars blade. The Mars blade. Yeah, the kind of sh- got shocks in it, right? Yeah, I got some kind of rocker or something. I, I mean. I've heard it's the closest thing to an actual skate. I have no idea when I'll be able to get on the ice. It's almost three months since our last game here. So I'm actually just dying to just take a stride. What have you heard? Like what? That's tough too. Like I've heard of having to train on your own, but a lot of these places, yeah, like the rinks aren't open. Yeah. You know, so you, you, this is crazy. Like people have to do what they can to come up with methods. Have you heard anything on when the East Coast League is starting again? Or the ECHL, I should say? Yeah. Uh, I mean... I, I, by the sounds of it, they're planning on standing, uh, starting October, like opening night. I mean, that's what they're trying to obviously gear up for. I mean, we obviously don't know. We're just trying to be patient and see because everything's evolving, right? Everything changes every day. So for them, it's to start on time like anything else. But obviously, has to do with the NHL team, the American League team too. Obviously, it's a trickle-down effect, so it could get a little dicey there. But no, I mean, there's not really much to I mean, say on that end right now. It's just, like I said, it's being patient, a lot of waiting. and being hopeful that uh, we're able to move forward in the fall time again and get back on the ice. Wild. Um, and I am going to get to some more current stuff in a minute. There's a lot of current stuff, hockey and non-hockey and whatever you want to 
There's a lot of news going on, um, but we're going we're gonna to stick with your career for now. I want to go back to the beginning. We got a lot in common, by the way. We came from East relatively. I played in Vernon and Quinnell, and you played in Vernon and Prince George. I'm, I'm going to leave it there for now. BC, JHL, why there, being from Thunder Bay, and um, what was your route? Right, Where did you play the year before? So I played uh, the travel team here in town, Thunder Bay Kings, which is like a triple A team. So mm. we had that tournament, uh, the Cologne International tournament there. Was like I know that one. Tournament where they built you out. So it's a pretty unbelievable experience. Um, so when we were out there, obviously a lot of scouts. I mean, just a lot of teams from the BC would be out there. A lot of colleges were out there too. And I had actually been talking to Trail a lot. Yeah. And they wanted me to leave before my senior year of high school, but for me, I wasn't ready to leave. I wanted to be in my own, my own house, you know, with my parents, finish off my high school and obviously all the other paperwork that goes with it. So anyways, the second year I talked to Vernon and Penticton at that tournament. And uh, I actually had an opportunity to maybe play for either team at the time. And I obviously chose, ultimately chose Vernon at the time. And, you know, obviously they have a lot of uh, winning years, good culture there, good coach. Uh, Mac, Mark Ferner was there, Jason Williamson. Uh, Duncan Ray was the owner at the time. So, yeah, it was Vernon, great league. Obviously, I kind of I want to get out of here a little bit, you know, explore a little bit. Yeah. Being young, try to, you know, my parent, my dad always kind of told me to, you know, get out and, uh, you know, see the world a little bit, see where hockey could take you. So that was an opportunity I took a full advantage of. Um, and then come deadline there was the last trade of the night. Uh, Vernon was trying to add a D. I mean, the team is pretty stacked, but they needed a D. I got traded to Prince George, Ryan Renz. So when I got the PG, they had loaded on a lot of their top scores at the time. Uh, we just barely missed the playoffs that year, but obviously went from not really playing at all with a really good team, which gave me one side of the, the, the or one side of the view. And then I went to PG and then played a lot, finished out my first year junior. And obviously it was, it's never easy getting traded, but a good experience early on to get a little, you know, a little bit of a wake up call to just, you know, grow up a little bit. And uh, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it made me better for it. Yeah, no, it's an interesting decision. And when you talk Kamloops, you're talking about the Bantam tournament, the Kibbit, or you're talking about the Midget one? No, it was the Major Midget. It was in Kelowna. Oh, Kelowna. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay, the Kelowna. I know exactly which tournament. There's a big one in Kamloops called the Kibbit, the Kamloops International Bantam yeah. tournament. And then there's the Max in Calgary, right? Yeah, there's the Max. You know I came up even though I was, uh, what, 14, 15 years before you. It was the same yeah. sort of format. And uh, I know both places, and I got lots of friends in both. So from there, Sioux Falls. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? Uh, so I always knew about the USHL. I had gone to a couple camps. Uh, the coach for Sioux City there was Dave Sisliano, who's from Thunder Bay. Um, so I got some exposure to that camp. Um, kind of something I wanted to go. I, I knew at that I, I'd already discussed the plan of where I wanted to go with going to school. You know, not going to the major junior route. Didn't feel I was ready. So. Anyways, I had a buddy there from Thunder Bay who was on the team the previous year, Marcus Perrier, and he had put in a word with Coach Hartzell at the time, Kevin Hartzell, and uh, got a call from him near the end of summer just inviting me to camp. Uh, didn't obviously guarantee me a spot, but wanted to give me a, a chance to make the team. And obviously for me, it was kind of a mini dream come true to obviously have a chance to play in that league. And I remember saying to my dad that day, I was like, I'm packing my bags and I'm, I'm going there to make the team. And I was fortunate enough to make the team and then uh, obviously played there two years aged out there and uh, it was a good experience probably two of the better uh, years of my life of hockey anyway the fans are great 
a great organization, great billets. Uh, it was a good spot to play junior hockey. I've heard. Uh, and 23 snipes. You can play it either way, defense. That year, you, 56 games, pretty good year. Um, growing up, were you a scorer? Or what was your game? Um, I always thought, I mean, growing up, I had a bit of, like, I wouldn't say my shot was hard, but it was a quick release. I used uh, the Lidstrom curves, the jury curves, the ones with the big hooks, so yeah. it allowed me to get the puck up, uh, obviously, a little bit quicker and tight. So I always like to shoot. Obviously, I like to make plays, too, and pass. But I, as you can see, like, as my career went on, I obviously had to develop a different side of my game, more of a two-way game. Obviously, there's a lot of people out there that could score. There's people that are better at scoring, obviously. So you got to adapt and uh, add more elements to your game. And I think I was more effective when I was obviously – winning face-offs, blocking shots, playing in the D zone, chipping on offensively when I get the opportunity. It was just more to become an all-around player and not just such a one-way player at the time. Uh, no, and that's a great decision. It's a decision that I don't think enough developing players make uh, because I always said if, if you can play defense, you open up so many opportunities. People like score, there's going to be Zach O'Brien's, right? Not many. Zach's unbelievable, but each team has – a line or two of that kind of a player if, if they're lucky. And, you know, I, I, I was in the same position in certain teams I went to, you know, not to take away from your offensive ability, but if you can do something else, you know, and I started taking a real focus on defense and, and you really did. And uh, I really admire your game. I've seen you play numerous times. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something that you take pride in and that I don't th I, I think uh, doesn't go unnoticed. So from uh, Sioux Falls, Rochester Institute of Technology. I've spent some time there, actually. I've, I have friends, uh, hockey players that are from there. So I've, I've gone there a few times. Well, I played against the Rochester Americans, but um, I, I actually spent some time. I didn't mind it at all. I believe the Kodak factory is there, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, why, why there, and how did you enjoy your time? Four years. Yeah, four years. Um, so they had seen me at that Kelowna, or that Kelowna tournament when I uh, was 17. Uh, didn't talk to me but this is what they had told me over the time they had kept their eye on me obviously there's other schools in the mix not many at the time uh talked to them it was just more just knowing how uh the players did their uh their winning tradition you know they have had a lot of championships there out of all the classes that have gone there in your four years at least a class wins either regular season championship or a playoff championship so for me being competitive i like to win so that was a huge draw uh, i had to play in the old arena for one year and then they got a new arena my sophomore junior senior year so i got to experience a new arena new facilities so it's kind of like being able to close out one chapter and be a part of a new one um and just obviously a good school uh, like i'm guessing i'm guessing it's the rochester new york right not rochester minnesota yeah rochester new york yeah okay was, i didn't want to get <laughs> i didn't want to assume you know sometimes uh, i do but yes okay keep going sorry about that so it was a great yeah. spot to play professional yeah, it was good because then you have the Amer the Rochester Americans there, right? And obviously that's where we play our homecoming games. So every year we have one game against a big, uh -huh. uh, big team and we usually sell that out. So we'd have 10,000 plus fans for a homecoming game. Um, no, it was just a good experience. Like I said, the, the school was good. It's nice. Even professors still keep in contact with me today. The classroom sizes were like 15 to 20 except a couple science ones, which were just outrageous. But I think that's at every school. But, you know, just to know your, you know, the faculty on campus, uh, your teammates and just kind of, you know, grow up together it's four big years of your life where you have to kind of find your ways so you learn a lot of lessons with time management uh, being a student athlete and finding ways to get things done in a little short period of time or a little sleep and all at the same time obviously getting a few extra workouts in which obviously I needed I never really filled out until the last couple of years it's taken me a long time to put on weight 
so obviously academic wise and uh you know to play hockey for us we won two championships went to the tournament twice uh one year lost in the sweet uh 16 to a guard takes team quinnipiac and then huh. one year elite elite eight we actually knocked off number one we we're the first 16 seed to ever do it and then came up short against omaha who uh it was weird i thought we maybe shouldn't deserve to win that first game but the second time when we did lose uh, i thought we played really well but Wow. Good experiences, obviously. Like I said, two championships. Like for me, winning is like a lot. I love to win. I hate to lose. So that's like something I take out of there too. Is there's two championships, and you know, yeah, man. There's so much that comes with um, winning. Like I often people go, well, you know, why? And I do. If you make it to pro sports, you're definitely the kid in the bunch growing up that and not all are as passionate, but a lot are like really competitive. I found myself over competitive and I love winning too. And when people ask, I'm like, but it's not just a win that fills you with a bunch of pride, but to do it with like, I don't know how it feels to win at tennis. I don't, it feels great to win when you're on a team though, because you feel like, you know, that no one can really drop the ball and, and, and let the rest of the team down because you're all going towards something. How are you going to contribute? How are, how is this unit going to do it? When you achieve that and you realize that, you know, I had a part of this and every single one of us tried and every single one of us, it feels like you've overcome mountains of adversity. And, and that's what I love about winning. And when I win, I never forget, not that I forget a lot anyway, but I, I find like I've got championships in ball hockey and the minors and senior hockey. And man, I remember everybody on every team that I won on. It's wild. You just, it's such a bond. So do you having had some success in early years, you know, on your junior teams and in, in college, do you still talk to those guys? I bet you some of them are like family to you. Yeah. I still keep in touch with some people from school there and uh, from juniors. Actually, it's funny. I reached out to my equipment manager yesterday just because he's one of the best ones I've ever had too. It's not even just teammates. It's the people that were also involved half yeah. and it's just crazy how they kind of become lifelong friends and you, you, you can go years with them, maybe out seeing them or, maybe even a couple of months without talking to them. But when you, when you catch up with them again, it's like, you've never missed a beat. You know, it's, it's like you said, those, those friendships that last a lifetime is something like when you, when you're on a winning team, it just, it sticks. It, it kind of never goes away. It's something that'll follow you for the rest of your life. Uh, you know, I couldn't have said it any better. And life is about experiences, right? I mean, we only, we build on experiences that we have and that shapes our personality when you're, Surrounded with so many good people in hockey, um, I do feel like it's impossible not to rub off, which must, you know, and I'm getting somewhere with this, you know, it rubbed off on you. So this year in, in Newfoundland, what I was most proud of you for, I know the boys, I know you're in, you know, downtown, I know you, I'm just saying you, a lot of people, if you don't spend a lot of time with them, you're not really sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, you did a lot of community work here, an awful lot. I believe you got the award. Um, and I know you're that kind of guy anyway, but how did you like that? Well, I played for St. John's Maple Leafs and I got the same award here. I found, and not just being from here, it's hard to look at it with unbiased eyes, but I found it's an easy community to get involved in because people love to see you come. And I saw some of those pictures that the Growlers posted. What was it like to play in St. John's and, you know, how was your relationship with the fans? Uh, it's unbelievable. Uh, I always ex uh, people ask me what what is Newfoundland like, and I just say unique is the only word that comes to my mind every single time because it's a unique spot, unique team, unique people. It's a unique situation out there, you know, like being <laughs> out on the rock. Like 
I, I really never knew what I was kind of getting myself into when I came out there. Obviously I, I came there and I was excited obviously for the opportunity, but you know, once I got to know the people, the team, the staff, just organization top to bottom, it just, it felt like home. And that's what everyone says when you're out in Newfoundland, it's, you're like a family out there. You, you, I always said you go to George street and uh, you bump into someone and it's like, Hey, let's have a beer. Whereas you could be anywhere else. You bump into someone and you're getting in a scrap. Like it's everyone's so friendly out there. Like it, everyone knows everyone. It's fun going out. I like, I, I enjoy seeing like, uh, Dave White, Damien, CR and all those guys when we go out singing for us, you know, like it, it's just, I feel like I'm part of a family and it, I feel like I'm part of the province. I, I feel like I always make jokes with the Newfoundland guys be like, I'm a Newfoundlander. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, like I embrace it. It's, it's, I love it. I mean, it's been a good experience. I enjoy giving back. I always, you know, my parents kind of always taught me that because I was always a kid waiting for autographs after games. And my dad and mom would always say, you know, one day that's going to be you. People are going to come up to you, make sure you make the time of day for them. And it's something that, you know, I kind of take pride in and it brings me a lot of happiness. You know, obviously the world is crazy at times and you never know what someone is going through. So, and especially for me, you know, being in out of the lineup, obviously I have a, the opportunity to do that a little bit more than some other guys that are playing every night. So I try to take my game, not just on the ice, but off the ice because I have the opportunity to do it. I enjoy it and it brings me happiness. And like I said, you know, just to get to know people and, you know, uh, the Growlers organization is kind of like one big family. We preach that and it doesn't just stay in the locker room. Obviously it continues out into St. John's and the rest of the province. So try to take big pride of it and try to lead by example to uh, also help our younger guys. You know, it's, it's hard for some of the younger guys cause we have a younger team and to kind of break them out of their shell and get them involved in the community. And I, I just feel like, you know, going to the rink every day when you know, there's people up there that you've met, it's fun playing in front of them. You know, it's fun. You want to win for them, not just for yourself, for the team. You want to win for the fans, win for the city. Like when we did win, win for the province. Like it's an incredible <laughs> feeling. Like the buzz and <laughs> what a rock. feeling it was. We <laughs> all. <laughs> I was far removed, man. But yeah. I was here, and it was a blast. Oh God, did people have fun? Uh, I remember when they announced the Growlers were coming back. For those that don't know, you know Newfoundland. Um, in 1991, we got awarded the St. John's Maple Leafs, Toronto's farm team. And boy, was it a day. Uh, there was a lot going on politically. We were going through a cod moratorium and it wasn't the best time from, uh, from a financial standpoint for the province. So it was a breath of fresh air. And ever since, we love having our pro hockey. We had a, a team in the queue for a while. Uh, we had the St. John's Maple Leafs, the St. John's Ice Caps, and now the Growlers and the, and the Fog Devils as well. But between it all, it's been like a year or two here and there that we haven't had a team. And it's not usually because the fans don't embrace the team. Actually, it never is. It's because, you know, the, the, the affiliate teams put a team in a more convenient spot. We lost the uh, St. John's Maple Leafs because the Toronto Marlies are literally across the street. It just makes more sense. But, um, you know, in those years in between, there's a lot of anxiety and there's no one playing at mile one. And we're just like... I remember when it was announced the Growlers are going to come back. I was at a get together and the place went bonkers. There was no kids. There was, a, you know, which makes up a lot of the fan base. There was just a bunch of adults, some of them in their sixties, uh, as young as you know, eighteen, nineteen. It was a ball hockey thing, and boom, we just went nuts. It was as if I, I don't remember a bigger chair than when watching Brad Guzhu win the Olympics uh, curling. Uh, so that's what we think of the Growlers. So you know, I think when you're out and you guys are. You know, part of the community isn't just, you know, visiting hospitals and photo ops. It's it's talking to people at restaurants and bars and stuff, right? And you guys do well with that. And, you know, to go further, I've, I've been to Thunder Bay a bunch, and I find it a lot like Newfoundland, don't you? Like, in, a lot of people have the same kind of attitudes. A lot of people have the same 
desires. Like, you know, a lot of people like fishing, hunting, hockey, you know, at least that was my concept. I haven't been to Thunder Bay more than a half dozen, dozen times. Do you find it? Yeah, for sure. Like you said, the outdoors here is great. It's just like Newfoundland. A lot of hardworking people here, just like Newfoundland. Um, and hockey is huge here too. Um, like it's a, it's a hockey city. Obviously, we have a lot of uh, NHL players at the moment that are from here and obviously past and probably future too. So, no, I would say it's, it's kind of like it's for me, even with the weather-wise, you can get four different weathers. <laughs> yeah. One day or rain, snow, sun, cloudy, you name it. So it, it's, it was pretty easy adjustment in terms of that, just the environment. It felt so similar in so many ways. And yeah, just like I said, it was a very unique, it's a unique situation. And it's something that like I'm, I, I'm proud and happy to be a part of, that's for sure. It's fantastic. You know, I did a bit of a tour, not a tour. We did a couple of charity golf tournaments last summer with Goldie Goldthorpe, the uh, inspiration for Ogie Oglethorpe. You must know who I'm talking about, do you? Because he's from Thunder Bay. Yeah, yeah. My dad actually knows him pretty well, better than I would. But yeah, oh yeah, I know him. Wow. Is that a story? He started talking. I was like, whoa. And I mean, it's everything. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly. I highly recommend it. Um, It's called the real Ogie, actually. Uh, yeah. Todd, your first year pro, so you get uh, three different teams, Orlando, Utah, Atlanta. You were trying to make your way. Again, another – I played in Orlando and Utah. And, and mm-hmm. Really, we've, we've similar path um, from, from different angles, obviously, being a first-rounder, but um, I'm not pulling rank. I'm saying that the path is – the journey remains the same. We played in the same spots. Um, first of all, I try to explain to people when they all think it's glitz and glamour when you're playing pro hockey. And I'm like, it's great. I enjoyed the journey to get traded or to go somewhere new from free agency. It can be great and you embrace it, but a lot of time it can be just chaos and you don't know. So your first year pro, it's not like it's the NHL either where you can just snap your fingers and get a limo to pick you up and pack all your shit and buy a new house where you're going. You're in the coast, right? And I know what that's like. So take us through that year, 17, 18. So it kind of started back in uh, actually the end of my senior year. I had injured my wrist January 7th of my senior year, and I didn't end up playing again the rest of the season. I didn't think – I thought I'd be back, so that obviously hurt because, one, I didn't get to finish my senior year. We ended up getting upset in the playoffs. And then summer came, and I still had not been able to shoot or pass a puck, which makes you pretty irrelevant mm. in hockey because it was just – Oh, yeah. It was, and I like I said, I did, basically they were saying you can either get surgery or rest it, and I just sat – summer and trained and kept taping it and then I eventually started shooting again I think it was July 24th was the day I actually started shooting a puck again and I got a call not too long after that from Drake Barahowski from Orlando and said he had talked to my coach at RIT and uh said you know we you have had a you know won a couple championships we want to try and bring one here and kind of just wanted me to bring that kind of hard work uh mentality to the team and I never really thought I was going to get a call from a sales team because I know how they stack up down there. And I, I didn't know if I would ever get an opportunity. So I was pretty excited. And I said, yeah, I'm in. And uh, Snowy was the assistant coach at the time there too. So I went down there and cracked a squad and played most, uh, most of the year there. I actually got my first concussion. I got in a fight with Kurt Gogol. I didn't <laughs> last very long though. I didn't really know he could throw lefts. So I didn't really know. Oh yeah. And it was over before it started. So I actually missed 40 days with my first ever concussion and then came back and then near the end of January um, went to actually was at the Marley's camp too before that year, because that was the affiliation. Right. So that was a cool experience too, for me. And uh, anyways, came back uh, shortly after Christmas ended up getting traded. I can admit that that was pretty emotional. Um, That team that we had down there, I thought was pretty close. 
uh, hung out with the guys almost every single day, obviously by the pool, whether it's barbecuing or just hanging out a nice hot day. Cause that's how it was. So that was emotional. And I got to know the fans really well. So I definitely shed some tears that night, not just because building too. Was it? Is it still the TD Waterhouse? Whatever that's what it was called when uh, I played. Amway Center now. Amway Center, but beautiful. I mean, yeah. it's like you're being. First of all, the weather's unbelievable. The people are really nice, and there's lots of Canadians because they're down there. Not that you want need Canadians, but I'm just saying, like a lot of people that are into hockey that you like you grew up not far from, and uh, it's really professional. And you walk in, and like you're playing out of the same building the Orlando Magic are playing out of. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. wild. Uh, I can totally see how that would have been upsetting. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, it was just, like I said, it was just the people. Like, you know, when you're surrounded by good people, like, it's hard. Like, it's hard just to leave St. John's at the end of the season. But anyways, I uh, got traded to Utah. And I remember just obviously struggling that night, just just sad that it's kind of, I'm moving on. But I said to myself, then it's okay, next morning when I wake up, it's like, it's, it's a new start. Like, let's go, let's get after it and uh, see what I can do in a, a Utah. So I get to Utah and most of their big guys are either called up or injured. And you know how the coast is. It's kind of a revolving door. So it's kind of one of those quick pick-me-ups, I felt. But I was like, you know what, I'll just do what I can to help the team win. And hopefully I stay. If not, I mean, let's see what happens next. So I just focused each day there and just tried to help the team win. They're a good team, good spot. Cool. I've never been that far. I've never been to Salt Lake City. So that was all new to me. But like I said, it was literally 14 days before I got a call into the office again. I was funny. We are all sitting at the apartments that day and I was waiting to get my apartment and the boys were like oh Scourge is getting his apartment I was like nah I'm probably getting traded as a joke sure enough I get to the rink and I got traded again so Atlanta picked me up but I felt a little more comfortable in Atlanta because I was going back to the same South division uh, people that I already knew that were on the team so finished the year there and uh, yeah we made the playoffs we got swept by Florida but obviously got to experience all the trades of pro first year pro got to experience yeah. a little bit of playoffs at the pro level and then, uh, I mean, going to the following year, the coaching staff uh, got a new coach, one that was coached there before, Coach Jeff Pyle. I don't know if you know him. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah so he, he resigned a lot of us returners and then ended up getting released uh, a week before the season. And you know what it's like at the beginning of the season. Everyone's healthy. Everyone has the same problems. So sat around for two weeks and uh, actually went to the first game between Orlando and Atlanta to see the boys. And that's when I got a call from well, I was reaching out to Snowy at the time and Snowy obviously talked to Chloe and I mean, the rest is history. If it wasn't probably for Chloe and Snowy, especially, I don't think, I don't even know if I'd still be playing right now, to be honest. Right. Yeah. Well, Ryan Chloe, I know really well. He's a good buddy. Um, and Chloe, that doesn't surprise me one bit. Ever noticed like the kind of guys that he, he was, you know, he was a lot like you as a player. Like it, he could uh, 25 fucking goals in the NHL is crazy. I just mean as, as a guy, you know, a player with, uh, you know, compassion for the teammates for, that embrace the fans uh, that was willing to go out in the community. And, and that definitely when Chloe started, he jumped on a few teams early in his uh, junior. So I could see him being a great coach, to be honest. He's a great leader. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Him and Snowy probably are probably two of the best coaches I've ever had. I can honestly say that I learned more picking those two brains apart than, things I've learned my entire life. <laughs> it's great to hear. That's actually great to hear. Um, I'm glad that he's passing it on. And Snowy as well, just, just saying. I, yeah. Chloe's very, very close. Um, so, I mean, I don't. for those of you that don't understand what happened in 2018-19, I'll tell you, the Newfoundland Growlers came into existence, and in their first season, well, they end up winning the whole fucking thing, as they say in Major League. 
tell us what it was like to play in Newfoundland during the best playoff ride in the history of St. John's professional sports. I was amazing. That's a word that I use a lot for that experience. Um, obviously, as the playoffs started out, you can hear the buzz starting to, you know, kind of come about. And then as each game would pass, you know, each win, each round, obviously the buzz throughout the city, the entire province, you can just kind of feel it. Um, people always ask about, you know, like first professional championship in Newfoundland, was it talked about? Uh, it was something that we brought up in the locker room every now and then uh, with our team meetings saying we have a chance to do something that team's never done before. We have an opportunity here to do something special. Uh, we didn't put it at the forefront. It was just more of one of those things in the back of your mind. Just remember, you know, that that's another piece to uh, our story when you're going out there and playing. And obviously it's something I'll never forget. As I said before, and, we, you know, we kind of touched on it, it's the people you did it with. Um, like even just throwing a couple of names out there, doing it for Chloe. Chloe had to leave midway through the season, you know. Snowy, doing it for Snowy. He had to come on in a tough situation and take charge. Adam Party, who – you know, is retired now. I remember saying before the playoffs, you know, like you're going to go at a winner. Let's do this. Uh, you know, yeah. Rod, Ryan Rogers, who has been the voice by play by play for years, you know, uh, Glenn and Dean, like those guys that have been invested for so many years. And then obviously like the fans and, you know, buddy, the puff and even he's been there for years too. Just certain people that like, yeah, I'm happy. I won. I'm happy. Our team won, but you're, you're happy that like certain players got to experience something that, you know, been at it for way longer than I have. I mean, I'm still, pretty young and some people have been trying to you know chase a championship for years so to be able to do it not just for myself but all those other people that are involved that make a tick behind the scenes whether it's our staff training staff equipment guys like even the rink personnel I mean I'm sure days of you skating in that rink I bet you there's still the same people that work there today that you know got to you know live that moment with us that night and you know that week oh yeah <laughs> and, dude. Uh, it's, it's something like like I said it makes me happy to just think about those times again and just to, you know, win it for the people that have uh, been there all along. Um, oh, that's wild. That was really well said. And um, I couldn't agree more. Boy, that meant a lot. I tell you, for those out there that you're not sure, like, we, we, it was a magical time. It was one of the most magical sports stories I ever, I've ever seen, and it happened right in front of my own eyes. Um, but they wanted it, and people – you know, I mean, East Coast League, good attendance, I would think, would be three, 4,000. My one holds 6,500, getting down to it. You couldn't – it was scalpers lines. It was crazy. It was the first year. Like, and, you know, you're not expecting to sell out at that level really any games, but let alone what a ride. And everybody – so George Street and Water Street, very old, one of the oldest parts, if not the oldest, actually the oldest part of North America when it comes to – that kind of restaurant bar district kind of thing. You know, it's old St. John's and we're the oldest city in North America. It's right across the street from the rink. And so those places would be packed and, and it was coming up on summer like it is now and it'd be just jammed and there's reasons to be outside. And oh my God. And, the, and that's the same time of year that the icebergs come through and the whales start jumping. And it was just this unbelievable positive energy. Like now it's kind of the opposite. If we're waking up to riots and there is no hockey no sports. Yeah. It was completely the opposite. It was like, whoa, and it was good weather, which is yeah. you don't always get in St. John's. So, you know, you'd get up and it was sunny and there was so many options. Let's go w watch the growlers. Like, and each win was bonus because you guys, it was the first year. And mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned like Brian Rogers and guys that go like, and I think Glenn goes back that far too. Um, because the first year the St. John's Maple Leafs were here in 91, they made it to the final against Adirondack and they lost in game seven. And yeah. it was the only series that every team won on the road, the road games. 
mm-hmm. and it took that long to come back. It was like it was because the vibe was back then, but we ended up losing it, and it was a little different because Memorial wasn't the stadium wasn't as big. And for me, I just moved to Cornell, and I had to play live play out my uh, junior, and then um, stay for high school. Couldn't jump all over and come back like you can now. So I kind of missed most of that ride. I saw some of the VHS tapes, VHS tapes my buddy sent me. But this one was just magical. And guys like Brian Rogers, like, they love it so much. Like, you know, he would hang out with us all the time when I played the St. John's in 2000. And um, it's all he would talk about was winning. And the last thing I'll say, because it's your interview, but a lot of people, like, so the people out there don't know, they made these replica rings that look, you know, obviously not made of gold, but they look just like the players' rings. I'm assuming just, you know, high-end plastic or something and, or, or aluminum or whatever it is and cubic zirconia. And I have, like, 20 friends with them. Like, everybody got on board and got these things. Whereas, you know, a lot of people would just let you guys enjoy the moment. But no, like, the city really, we really did. A lot of people feel like we were part of that win. And um, I can't speak for myself if, if I didn't have my own pro rings and it didn't look cheesy, I would have joined that boat, but a lot of people did it. So I know you've heard it, but thank you from all of us as fans, not only for, uh, you know, for winning because we don't have to really thank you for that, for embracing us all and, um, you know, for changing the sports vibe here in St. John's. Uh, so that's a great thing. And thanks to you, buddy, for doing so much uh, for the community. Now I know I said a half hour when we've gone over, but I do have a few more questions that are just randoms. Do you mind? Yeah, no worries. <laughs> okay, no problem. Who's your favorite band? Uh, favorite band? That's, <laughs> that's a tough... It's funny. You always know until someone actually asks you a question on a live podcast. <laughs> um, you know what's I know, funny? I mean... Or, or yeah, give the us last, maybe top three. The last little while, <laughs> I don't know if you're going to laugh, but in the, uh, when I'm doing my workouts, I've been throwing on Nickelback. You know? I haven't listened to them in so long. Yeah, and it's yeah. kind of my vibe lately just nickelback all the old music like metallica uh what else do i got going on on my plate so you're, to be honest though i do have a lot of like, i have a kelly cup championship playlist for when i had my kelly cup party yeah. and i ripped that all it is in newfoundland music it's the navigators it's alan doyle and i honestly i listen to that probably every day i go pick up my mom from work it's the kelly cup playlist there and back every time <laughs> that's I mean, fantastic that would, for so many probably, reasons yeah, like that would probably be like when I got that, you know, on Spotify, it says most played songs of the year. Uh, last year, it was like Alan Doyle, Navigators, like I said, all those bands that were out from or Newfoundland music. That's all it was. So I'll just go with Newfoundland music because I listen to that more than anything. That's fantastic. I didn't know that. And that's yeah. not why I asked, but it's a fantastic answer. for, it. And it's a good plug for those out there. Every time I mention it, my intro song is a Newfoundland band, yes, and I love them, but the, the band that I use um, is the Long Distance Runners, and they're a rock band and everything. So when I say Newfoundland music to people, I think they associate it with that, uh, that outside of the Long Distance Runners, and there are many more great bands from Newfoundland without getting into each one. My favorite's Brothers in Stereo, rock bands kind of thing you're talking. But, you know, we get this Irish kind of influence. Like, if you like the Pogues, uh, or, uh, geez, uh, the spin or the red spin doctors. No, the, uh, saw doctors. Jeez. Yes. Um, it's very similar and, and, um, dropkick Murphy's like that kind of sound is great. Big C the navigators you mentioned. I, I love the, a lot of it sounds similar, but I love the boys voices. Uh, it's got that, yeah. that tone. Uh, 
God, Irish descendants, Celtic connection. Uh, Shanaganuck, Connemara. Just look into it, people. If you like it, if you like that Irish twang, if, if, you, if you like the odd accordion and fiddle and flute yeah. and the music, uh, just listen. And I'm, lo I, I'm loving that that's stuck. I had no idea. I'm like, you know, sometimes when people come here, do they like that or do they like the party and then do they never listen to it again? But it's good that you do. No, I, I love it. I actually had the chance to see Alan Doyle uh, last summer in Ottawa. And then the Navigators, obviously, right before a season end, I went down to uh, Green Sleeves and caught them. So I got those two out of the way anyway. Beautiful and good answers. Have you ever had your heart broken? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Probably um, the last year. And would that have been, you know, you don't have to get specific. And I, did, I didn't just mean a girl or love or any of that. Um, I guess it could be leaving a place or, a, yeah, it could be a person, but you have had your heart broken. You can elaborate or not. Yeah, definitely, uh, obviously, with a girl. Uh, okay. Unfortunate. And then, to be honest, my heart breaks every time the season's over. When we found out the season was over this year, uh, we are all together, and I was probably the most emotional guy. Uh, you know, I was in tears. I'm not going to lie. It's always hard to leave the team, especially after you win. And then, it, you know, again, this year, when we definitely had an opportunity to do it again, and so every year is usually pretty emotional for me because you get so close with the boys. So, yeah, I know, man. That with the, the day you have the, like your coaches meeting and you walk out and it's like the last time you walk out and you look back at your stall. That gets me every time. Like it, it almost ruins me for that day. Either I go out and I get on a piss because I just want to forget, or I just go home and I'm not social. It really is. It takes something out of me, and yeah. not knowing, you know, anything can happen. You don't know if you'll be back wherever it is. I mean, I, I don't mean just St. John's there. I meant. Boise, Hershey, where, wherever, Utah, wherever it might have been. Um, where do you want to visit that you haven't before you die? I don't know why I added before you die. Where do you want to visit? <laughs> um, probably Italy would be cool. Uh, my mom's side of the family lives over there. Her side of the family is Italian. So I think it would be pretty cool to uh, go, go to Italy, obviously. Love pasta, love wine, love all that stuff. So it would be cool to meet some of my other side of the family and just kind of explore and see that. But uh, that would probably be one place anyway that I'd like to visit. My buddies on the Growlers, well, last year, Adam Party, uh, but Party and Melindy uh, are, are pretty close. And then actually, Pards and I won a national championship together, a ball hockey championship 2010. Great mm -hmm. ball hockey player, not a surprise. Uh, but, uh, you know, I knock around with Zach and Marcus quite a bit. Uh, any good Zach Marcus stories? What are they like in the room? Uh, it's, it's funny. Marcus is usually getting roasted by everyone. <laughs> going to give it to me for this, but everyone always picks on Marcus. Um, <laughs> but Marcus can give it back. That's the best part. And sometimes me and Marcus chirp and he gets me pretty good too. And Obi's pretty quiet. Uh, like, like you, I mean, you know, I mean, when we're out, he's pretty vocal. Obviously he gets up on stage and sings, but for Obi, he's just so professional with everything he does in the locker room. He's just, you know, pretty much strict game face on game days, but Marcus is a little bit more loosey goosey, you know. You can poke him a little bit, and he likes to poke back. So usually, always good. good. Always good for one liners. He only has to say a couple words, and you know, gets a chuckle out of everyone. Or you know, he comes in when he has to come in. But uh, no, I, I love, love it. I love those guys. I mean, they're they're both two special people. Uh, love coming to the rink every day, obviously to see the team and, and those guys. I mean, those are two guys I definitely miss a lot right now. 
and a couple guys that you need, right? You need Zach's uh, focus and, you know, slight serious tone before the game. It's not a cynical one. It's just a serious one. And you also need guys like Marcus. And I know, like, there's three or four guys in every team that you can throw daggers at, and they bounce it. They're real good with it. You know, some guys take it to heart, but Marcus is fucking great for that reason. And Marcus um, laughs off everything you say to him. Like, he'll laugh it off. It doesn't matter how hard it is. He kind of just laughs it off, says something back. And then you got Mel, too. Mel, I mean, <laughs> Mel's got, like, the dry sense of humor. He just – I look at him, and he just makes a face, and it just – you laugh because you know what he's thinking or what he's going to say. And, and so ferocious on the ice and such a teddy yeah. bear off. Oh, yeah. um, like, Great. he's old school. I, I mean, I went to a lot of games over the past couple of years, and you look at – I can't remember these – anybody listening just check his stats james melendi the last season he had like 1992 bird dog numbers like it, it, it was like you know a decent amount i don't know like say five goals 14 assists i don't know what his points were but always around that and then like he had like yeah, 200 penalty minutes it was like whoa and the next guy had like 60 it's crazy that he still plays like that but a lot of it is coming he's a guy often i don't think that there should be this goonery or sideshow fighting in hockey that's the way it was when I played and there was a lot of times I was like, this is getting out of hand, but it goes the other way. You're like, okay, people are taking advantage of our players, but a guy like James is right in the middle, man. Like anybody hits you, he's got your back or usually does. And that's, and he's usually doing it to make a point. He's yeah, not a no. nut so much. I, he's dumb like a Fox as a tough guy. Uh, how is he as, as to be cap, or the captain of your team? Oh, he's great. Uh, like I said, he, he, he demands like respect out of everyone. One gets the team kind of on the same board. He speaks up at the right times. And like you said, like no one, I mean, obviously we're usually a younger team, smaller team. So if someone does something, you know, kind of stupid, I mean, he's not afraid to step in and obviously stick up for the team. And you need someone like that on your team. Team, I, I always think, I mean, it's nice going out there knowing if you get run you know, from behind or something like that, like Mel will make a, a point of doing something about it later. And he's been pretty, I mean, even this past season, he's pretty good about it. He picked his spots, you know, he didn't do it always right away. You know, he knows who, a lot of guys in the league and he'd wait another game or two if he had to, and he'd take care of his business. So he would never really put us in uh, a hole or anything. And I mean, I boys rallied around him. We get the odd fight out of him every now and then too. And like I said, he's a true professional and someone that, I mean, the entire team and obviously the staff uh, look up to. So he's uh, been, I mean, to come in an inaugural season uh, being from St. John's, obviously his job is Probably wasn't easy, but I think he's done an unbelievable job of uh, setting the tone in the locker room and on the ice. I'll tell you, now I'm looking at the stats. I wasn't exaggerating. Last season, now these guys won the whole championship. The whole championship. They won the, the, the cup. And so James had 185 penalty minutes. And number <laughs> second on, in, in 55 games, nonetheless, he missed uh, almost 30 games. And um, next was... 47 <laughs> that that's how much he meant because yeah. people didn't screw around and uh i know it's a different game but there was times he had to come in i just love watching him play um let's see if you could take one million a month for the rest of your life but die seven years earlier than you would have would you take it it's a tough question. You don't know when that day is. If you're going to die at 51, well, it's a decision. You might die at 104, then, of course, I'll be 97. But you don't know. And not knowing, you get a million dollars a month the rest of your life, but you're going to die seven years earlier than you would have naturally. Would you take that? 
Uh, that's tough. I don't know. I mean, I feel like I, I don't even know how to answer that. Obviously, <laughs> well, I asked. <laughs> I want to know your response after. I would say maybe not because right now I don't have obviously all the money in the world. Obviously, it'd be nice to do a few extra things, but I'm pretty happy with and fortunate for what I have in my life right now with my parents, my family, and what I got with my teammates out on the rocks. So I think for me, it's not so much about money. It's, I mean, obviously if it was, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't be playing even in the coastal. It's, it's about those experiences and kind of still living out your dream while you still can. So I'd probably just not take it and just keep enjoying the experiences that I have now because those are worth a lot more than money for me, at least right now. I agree. Uh, I wouldn't take it, but don't ask me after five or six beers. That would be my thing. I, I, I can see how I would gloss over the bad stuff and make a bad decision. If you would have, not that anybody could. I mean, I, I'm assuming that I'm going to come across a magic lamp or some shit for the question to even happen in the first place. Um, and okay, leading the next year, 28, I believe, right? Um, so why then would a 28-year-old still play? I mean, I know the answer, but give it to me in your words. Uh, it's, it's, it's questions I get all the time. People always say, you know, you can't play forever. And I understand that. Um, I think just right now, even with just the way that the world's kind of working and just kind of my life situation, I think that there's nothing really pulling me away from the game. Uh, my body still feels good. I still feel like I can handle it. Still feel like I got a few years left. And like I said, I just feel like I have a unique, for me, it's, I have a unique platform to make a difference too in other people's lives. And, uh, you know, and get to live those experiences with uh, the team and, you know, with the organization I'm with. I, I just feel like I'm in a good spot. Uh, you know, I'm happy. Uh, one day, I, I think I would like to coach as well. And uh, obviously, just, you know, continuing to play a few more years uh, would obviously help build a resume. But, you know, it still brings me a lot of joy. I'm still so competitive. I mean, even just sitting here right now, like, I'm just itching to get back at it, you know, see the boys get playing again, because, you know, our season got cut short. But, you know, I just love it. Uh, I remember my trainer, you know, when we had to make a couple of decisions personally in the past year or two, he said, I remember meeting up with him and he said, now you're in love with the game. I mean, he's like, that's your new, uh, your new love and something you got to stick with. And I mean, it's something I don't mind. And like I said, I, I enjoy playing still. And uh, I don't know if I'm going in circles, but uh, like I said, unique platform. And, uh, you know, I want to kind of continue and, you know, set the tone for obviously younger players and uh fans and be able to interact with them still for a few more years hopefully that's a great answer and um i think you are i'm glad you haven't given it up uh your platform you use well and you're right and that's the first thing i noticed after coming back from pro hockey was, was that and um you know you you are making a difference todd i mean you're not you're not just playing it out just to play it out, you've got, I assume, lots of great options. You're a professional guy, in great shape, uh, got a lot to give the world. Um, and I'm just glad you're giving it right now in Newfoundland. I wish you luck. I hope you play till you can't skate anymore, man. And uh, you're using your uh, platform well. And I appreciate you coming on the show today. And uh, I'd love to have you back sometime, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'll be back for sure. Can't wait to see you again. Hopefully this ends soon so I can get back out on the rock and we can have a time, right? Okay, there. Next time I see you, I hope we are cheersing beers as Damien Follett or Dave White or CR, one of those guys, is playing on stage. And who knows, I may get up and sing a tune again. Todd, I hope that's when I see you next, buddy. And thank you a lot for doing this. Thanks for having me, TR. See you, buddy. See ya. And there you have it. 
Todd, the tornado scurving. Interesting guy and uh, always full of positivity and uh, always seems to be thinking. Uh, you met Todd a couple times. I follow him on <clears throat> on uh, social media and we back and forth quite a bit. Uh, and I've <laughs> had some beers with my dad on Friday nights, actually, and he chimes in. Anyway, it, you know, hockey's a lot of people, if, if you're a partial fan, you might only see. You know, the Leafs versus Habs on a Saturday night, but there's so much more to the game of hockey. So many more experiences to be had, people to be met, journeys, uh, ridden. Um, you know, just uh, the, uh, I'm sure everybody, you know, that does something that they're passionate about has that story, but all I can do is relate it to you from a hockey player's point of view because that's what I've been my uh, my entire life most of what we talk about transcends hockey other than the specific hockey stories case in point the Growlers championship man what a time for us in Newfoundland that was just awesome and um, to know people on the team and to to get to know the you know the the people involved was just fantastic and shout out I think he mentioned everybody but Trevor Murphy was one of my good buddies and uh, really does a great job with that team. So congrats again to the Growlers a year later. Look at that. But uh, yeah, you're going to be the defending champs for quite some time. So you'll get to be champs for longer than everybody else. Um, before I forget, actually, before I forget, <clears throat> a couple things. First one, you know, if you trim your hedges, your tree stands taller. The Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created. And just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Their, their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped's advanced skin safe technology. I mean it too. They sent me one. It works. When I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. And I do. The battery will last up to 90 minutes. If you need more than that with your ball hair, then go see a doctor. That's not part of the ad. That's my observation. The, the LED light illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. They've also upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand. This intelligently designed stand has a rapid charging, charging dock powered by USB. Here at the Hockey Podcast Network, we want you to experience it for yourself firsthand. Um, and free shipping when you use promo code THPN at manscaped.com. Actually, I do mean this, guys. It's an unbelievable product. Uh, that's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use your THPN promo code. Your balls will thank you, and you can thank us later. And thank me for the advice. Fuck it. The other thing before I take off, I, I want to say is that, um, you know, I know I talked a lot about politics there, but. Um, I want you to know that I'm not coming at it from like an, a lifelong democratic or a lifelong liberal angle. Um, I think a lot of them are just as bad. I, I, I can't believe the shitty choice that the United States had to make in 2016. Um, you know, I kind of like Bill Clinton. Eh, some things he did. I don't mind the blowjob, but the dishonesty, you know, I, I, I don't love that. And hearing he was in cahoots with Jeffrey Epstein. I hope it's not true. There's enough there. What I do know is that they both get paid, him and Hillary, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars um, to do their speeches. And fair enough, fair enough. But um, 
you know, Obama too, it's not like a whole lot changed in the oil and gas industry or, you know, they were all behind climate change and everything. Not that it, not that it was specific to oil and gas. I'm very near and dear to it. And I think we need positive solutions. I, I think climate change is happening. I certainly don't think everybody should lose their oil jobs overnight though. There's got to be a way, right? We're Canadians, Fuck. huge part of our economy. You know, we need to figure out a way to eventually remove from it. And then again, that's a debate to be had by professional people. Uh, but the uh, point is, like, I, I want you to know that, that I'm not sitting here just like living and dying MSNBC and liberalism either. Uh, I, like I said, I like to be somewhere in the middle. I just have compassion and I don't even a lot, a lot of the time pay attention. And when a vote happens, I'll take in all the information I can, you know, in that month or two, like, and I don't mean every fucking night. I mean, just, you know, read an article or two and move on and read about all the candidates and where they come from and what, you know, pay a little bit of attention at least. I mean, that's a privilege that we have. We live in a democracy. We can vote. Okay. So I don't want anybody to think, you know, when I went on earlier that I was painting a bad picture of um, Republicans, I think I said, kind of made that point clear, but you know, yeah, I mean, I'm equally as critical of the other party. I, mean, I think the liberals, the Democrats, you know, are too worried sometimes about a third bathroom than they are about, you know, uh, finances or foreign affairs or, or wars, you know, like, and there's where a lot of Republicans like John McCain, the great, late, great John McCain, you know, I mean, I take his advice on the military. He was a prisoner of war. He's been through it. He's seen, you know, some things that we'll probably never see, hopefully. So I probably should have said that at the beginning. Anyhow, anyhow, um, I'm glad I made it clear now. You know what else is really unbelievable, too, is the fact that uh, Southern Scholar socks make such superior dress socks. They've reinvented the dress socks to form fit to your foot, stay up your leg. They're guaranteed to be the best dress socks you've ever worn or your money back. Use promo code THPM for $5 off your next purchase. And why not? I guarantee you that they're unbelievable socks. I own many pairs, and I've said that before. They just happen to sponsor the show. Penny Posh, pennyposhdesigns.com. Just go there. You know what I'm talking about by now. $129 unbelievable hoodies. We'll give them to you for six. When I say we I have nothing to do with it, it's my ex-wife. I want to help her out. And uh, the better she does, the better my daughter does, and the better I do as a result. And we support each other anyway. So anyway, Penny Posh Designs, awesome hoodies. Pretty much half price now, down to $69.99. And I'll throw in a picture, and my dad will throw in a signed picture as well. So two pictures and a hoodie for $69.99. That's better than a kick in the ass, isn't it? Uh, what else? Um, oh, we don't have a ton of sponsors left in this COVID riot infused era of course we don't so i'm going to go out and say wedgwood cafe is an unbelievable place to get your food they're doing some catering now i know that but peter wedgwood is a good friend of mine and he's just great at what he does and he's managed wedgwood wedgwood cafe now for well owned for a long time and um you know the way the restaurant business can be they've had fought and bit and clawed at points to, to survive and then they became very well established in the east end of st john's 
And the only thing that could probably put a dent in that was exactly what happened, this COVID thing. But Wedge kept going and kept doing some takeout and everything, and they're about to reopen. So good luck to my good friend Peter Wedgwood and the Wedgwood Cafe. Uh, please, by all means, check it out. Great food, great people, great service. Green Sleeves and uh, Turkey Joe's, soon to be TJ's, by the way. Uh, and that's great. So Stephen Hancock, Jody Temple, great friends of mine. We just spoke about Green Sleeves. It's pretty much the cornerstone of the street. They've given me so many free beers over the years. Uh, and I will extend that to Jeremy Hart and the people at Labatt, even though they don't sponsor the show. Uh, it hasn't been that I haven't asked, first of all. And, you know, there's bigger fish to fry in times like this. The reason I'm saying it is because they're good people that have helped me out. So while sponsors aren't plentiful at a time like this, I feel I should mention that. And uh, so that's that's the news. The green, so for those of you from St. John's, Turkey Joe's used to be the big hangout that we would go to. Um, hockey, bar, if you want to call it that, man, with, with the Leaps and the AHL right over until now. Turkey's winning, I think, in like maybe 95, around there which was not a bad year for myself. But anyway, um, so I remember it well. I spent a lot of money at Turkey's. But uh, anyway, they're going to redo it and call it TJ's, I think, and uh, renovate the whole place. And I know I'll be hanging out there. So good luck with that, guys. Um, and uh, basically, <clears throat> where am I with all this? I'm excited to, you know, I really hope that Without even, I, I, I said my piece on the riots pre-interview, okay, so I'll leave that stuff there. I'm, I'm exhausted by it. Um, just, I, I really, it's a nice time of year. I love the spring, and, you know, it seems that at least in Newfoundland, there's, there's a lot of things to look forward to, one being, the biggest one being that we don't have much COVID, and I don't want to talk out of turn. I certainly hope it doesn't come back, but now life has started fairly normal here in Newfoundland outside of the fact I'm jobless, but you know, but, but the parks, people are, people are there, they're, they're, they're socially distancing, but you know, there's places opening up slowly, but surely, and we seem to still have no cases, no new cases. So again, I'm not religious, but there's, or whatever God is, but I do pray sometimes, you know, I think it's like meditation and I meditate uh, towards positivity and hoping, hoping that, all over, but being so close in St. John's and Newfoundland, hopefully life can get back to normal uh, quickly because we need that. I'm a social person, and I tell you, it's been hard. I don't always let it on, but it's been hard not being able to be social. And if I didn't have Penny Lane, I think I would have been so lonely. You know, I'm in a place here on my own. And Danielle's been a great mother, too. We have, we, we've realized that you know, outside of our differences, which, which aren't a lot. A lot of people, it's hard to live with somebody. It's not, you know, that it really is. And Danielle and I still have to have a relationship and a good one, you know, ideally, because we're raising Penny Lane, but it's been great. You know, we've been riding our bikes and, and often three of us. Um, I shouldn't say often, but it's happened. And, you know, we have a very cordial, respectful relationship. And Penny Lane has been awesome to be, Whenever I feel down, you know, I might even call Danielle and say, can I see Penny Lane for a few hours today? 
she'll come down and you know I, if i didn't have that I, I don't know what it would have been like the last few months man all alone i've got fortunate enough to have friends to call and you know i live here i'm in my hometown so there's people i grew up with i'm a very comfortable situation uh, fuck you know a lot of people have just moved to a new city trying to trying to meet people and, and you know i know what that feels like and then fuck for this to happen must suck man it must so i hear you i know what it feels like i don't know what it feels like to be discriminated against as a black person but so i can't say i have total empathy but i do have sympathy and i hope that we can get over this hump as a civilization as soon as possible but i also know that it takes stuff like this to make any real change so what's going to happen is going to happen and uh, good luck with that to everybody else i should be back regularly um you know i was doing two a week there for a while like i said i'm on the two g's a month for now at least for the next two months so it's not like money's flying in so um i'm trying to do what i can to make some on the side or at least or at least you know write some of the book or set up some speeches for after this is all over which i seem to have done so that's it it's a lot of work with no immediate gain but definitely some hope involved and right now i think hope is just about the best that anybody can ask for thanks a lot for tuning in i really do hope that uh love spreads not hate and if i was too far if i went too far earlier i apologize if you don't want to listen to the program fine with me um i just needed to say what i what i said and i feel better for it that's it wish all you out there the best See you soon.